Hello, and welcome to Under the Dome, the News and Observer's political podcast. This is Will Doran here on Monday, August the 23rd, uh, here to tell you about what's going on this week in state politics. Um, first of all, uh, apologies to people who normally listen to this on Monday morning. Uh, we're a little bit late in getting it posted, but that means that I can tell you about a big court ruling that just came out Monday morning, which I wrote about, um, and that was in the uh, felon disenfranchisement lawsuit that has been going on here in North Carolina. Uh, long story short, uh, the panel of judges that was overhearing that case uh, overturned uh, basically our our current rules on how we treat people with felony records after they get out of prison. Uh, and when we allow them to vote, they're going to now allow them to uh, get their voting rights back sooner. Uh, so I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. Um, we're also going to hear a couple updates about the state budget negotiations now that different versions of the budget have passed both the House and the Senate and the two chambers need to get together and figure out a compromise that they can send to Roy Cooper. Uh, We're also going to hear about uh, critical race theory and medical marijuana and foster parents. Uh, Those are three big topics that are going to be uh, coming up at the legislature this week. Uh, So we've got a busy week ahead. Um, I should also note it is our first week uh, without Colin Campbell, the former editor of the North Carolina Insider, uh, who has left us to take a new job at Business NC. Uh, We wish Colin all the best. Uh, He is a good buddy of us and will remain so, even though he's working with a uh, a potential rival now. Um, But uh, we will, you know, I'll be running around uh, like chickens with our heads cut off trying to, to fill his shoes until the Insider hire someone to replace him as a new editor. Uh, people who listened to this podcast recently or even a few years ago uh, when we first started it will uh, obviously know Colin. He's been uh, a mainstay here. Um, and like I said, we wish him all the best. And, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, all of you uh, legislative staffers and lobbyists and advocates out there, you know, uh, you know, maybe uh, cut us a little slack as we uh, run around <laughs> this week and next week trying to to fill his shoes. Um, but with that being said, let's jump into it. Um, so we have this ruling on the felon voting rights issue, which is going to affect around 55,000 people. Um, the court said Monday morning that they agreed with the challengers who included the NAACP, and also Community Success Initiative, which is a group here in Raleigh that helps uh, people who have recently been released from prison uh, reintegrate back into society, you know, helps try to cut down on recidivism, reoffense rates, things like that. Um, they had said that, you know, look, uh, North Carolina has been banning people from voting on probation parole, uh, but that means that, you know, they're out here, they're sending their kids to school, they're paying taxes, but they're not able to vote on, you know, the people who decide how their taxes get spent or how the schools get run. And the judges seem to agree with that. Uh, and also with the argument that the felon disenfranchisement rule was really rooted in uh, pretty explicit racism. Uh, it, it was passed back in the 1870s um, very intentionally to... Uh, stop newly freed black people from being able to vote at all. So we are now, I, I looked this up on the uh, North, the National Conference of State Legislatures website, we are now the only state in the South 
as long as this ruling is upheld on appeal, which it sounds like I'm I'm imagining the legislature will almost certainly appeal it. But if the ruling is held up on appeal, we will be the only state in the South to automatically give people their voting rights back as soon as they get out of prison um, and not make them wait uh, to finish their full sentence, uh, which can include probation, parole, post-release supervision, things like that. Um, Every other southern state at least requires those additional requirements, if not just permanently bans them from voting no matter what. Uh, Now, most states do uh, give back rights after people get out of prison, uh, but as I said, no other southern state does. It's mostly states out west or in the northeast or the midwest. Um, And so that's going to be, you know, tough uh, for the the Board of Elections to turn around, uh, not before the 2022 elections, that'll be fine. But, you know, we do have a lot of municipal elections coming up this fall in just a couple of months. uh, So we'll see if they're able to turn that around and, you know, change some of the the written material they have out there telling people what their voting rights are or aren't. Um, and so they're going to be working on that um, this whole week and, you know, into the, into the future. And, you know, we'll see if there's any, any fallout there in the legislature, if the, uh, if lawmakers try to rewrite that law at all, or if they just appeal the case or what. Uh, so we're going to be keeping our eyes on that. Um, but more pressing probably at the legislature is the big thing, which is the budget. Uh, obviously, we've gone a couple years now without a real official state budget. And a lot of people uh, are pretty sick of that <laughs> on both sides of the aisle. They want a budget to get done. They want it to get passed. Uh, and now both the House and the Senate have passed versions of their budgets uh, with pretty strong majorities. Not not unanimous support, but, you know, they've gotten a, enough Democrats to go along with it on both sides of the aisle that it looks like, it, you know, at least right now, it has a veto-proof majority. Of course, you know, if the governor were to turn around and veto it, uh, you know, who knows if all of the Democrats would uh, would continue voting for the budget even despite the governor's objections or if they would end up agreeing with him and vote to uphold his veto. Uh, but that is still a long way away. Um, and as my colleague Don Vaughn has reported, Republican lawmakers have really done more this year than they have in the past to try to involve Democrats, involve Roy Cooper's office in some of these decisions. Now, obviously, as I said, that doesn't mean that everybody agrees on this and then it's all kumbaya and all that. But, you know, there does seem to be a little bit more, um... goodwill from both sides, I think you could say, this year towards actually coming up with the final product that uh, that people can agree on. So we'll, right now, though, the trick is for the Republicans to figure out what their final product is going to be because the House and the Senate have different ideas. Um, you know, now these are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages long with, you know, $25, $26 billion in them. So there are a lot of differences between them, but the main two uh, that the general public wants to know about is what about taxes and what about raises for state workers? Um, and basically the super simple version there is the Senate wants to have bigger tax cuts and lower raises and the House wants to have less tax cuts and higher raises. They both think that there should be some sort of tax cut and some sort of raise for state workers uh, but they just don't quite agree on the details and basically which should take priority, whether you should prioritize the tax cuts or prioritize the higher raises. Um, so that's going to be probably the the main point of contention. But, you know, then they also have to, you know, figure out uh, whose who's pork product, 
projects are going to get funded or not and you know whose pet projects make it or maybe have to wait for another year and you know there's of course you know all sorts of stuff in the budget that's you know about policy and not at all related to money um you know things about the board of elections and about uh, the attorney general's powers and things like that that they'll have to discuss and see if they want to keep those in the final version of the budget that they send to the governor, uh, since uh, those sorts of things might make him more likely to veto it, uh, or if they want to just say, well, we've sent our message, we've, you know, told the AG and the elections board that we're mad at them, you know, with our initial versions of the budget, but we'll take that out now because we don't want to risk it, you know, all this spending and all this money and all these projects getting vetoed over that policy stuff. Um, So those are some of the kinds of discussions that are going to be happening behind closed doors this week uh, that us reporters are going to try to be uh, finding out about as they happen. Um, And then on Tuesday, we have just a really big day um, with committee meetings at the legislature uh, for people who are interested in uh, the, the continuing debate around a few just super hot button issues Uh, The big ones are the medical marijuana bill and the critical race theory bill. Both of those are popping up in committee in the Senate on Tuesday. Um, And so we will be covering those. Check out the NNO website and all of us reporters on Twitter. Hopefully you follow us all uh, for updates on those. Um, The the critical race theory bill has already passed the House. Uh, It now goes to the Senate, and uh, Tuesday is the first time that the Senate has taken it up at all, uh, even though it's been a little while since it passed the House. Um, So we don't know yet if the senators like what they saw from the House, if they have tweaks to the bill that they want to make. You know, this is the kind of thing that is, you know, really just completely divided along party lines and, you know, depending on, you know, who you talk to, whether they're Republican or Democrat, you get, you know, completely different versions of, you know, what critical race theory even is to them and whether or not it, you know, exists in the curricula of public schools and whether or not it's a problem or this is just one of those things that the two sides just do not see eye to eye on at all. Uh, it's a really contentious issue. Um, and so I would expect Tuesday's meeting in the, in the Senate to be, uh, pretty emotional, uh, pretty contentious as they talk about it. Um, but like I said, we'll also see if the, uh, if the Senate has changes that they want to make to the version of what the house already passed, or if they want to just go ahead and try to kind of speed it through and, and move it along, uh, towards, towards passing it. So we're going to be watching that. And also on Tuesday, uh, the medical marijuana bill is back up for discussion again. That's something that I've been covering for the past couple of months, uh, ever since it started. That's got, uh, you know, pretty notable, as people who follow North Carolina politics will know, uh, bipartisan support on it. It has GOP sponsors, including Senator Bill Rabin, who is the Senate Rules Chairman and thus is really one of the most powerful people in the building. With him as the sponsor, you know, its chances look pretty good. It's kind of bounced around from committee to committee as they've made some changes this summer. And I think that's to be expected. Um, Even some of the advocates I've talked to aren't really worried that, you know, it's it's passed out of a committee, but then been sent back to that committee, which, you know, sometimes that might signal, you know, 
bad news for a bill, but something like this, I mean, is just, it, it would be such a massive change here in North Carolina for so many different parts of the law and society and the medical industry and so many other things that, you know, there's just always new things that people bring up and they say, hey, why isn't this in the bill? And then the sponsors say, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. We need to add that. Um, so they've made some changes recently, uh, you know, things like, uh, you know, stricter rules on you know, where you can or can't smoke it to explicitly say, you know, no smoking in public, which I think even, you know, a lot of people who probably support medical marijuana would also agree with, you know, yeah, we should try to, you know, cut down on, on smoking it in public or near schools or things like that, which are, you know, wasn't in the original version of the bill, but did recently get added in. Um, and there's some new things also, uh, that they added in, uh, uh, there, there's a provision, uh, for a new, uh, addition to the list of medical ailments uh, that uh, medical marijuana could be prescribed for, and uh, that would be basically a catch-all for just anyone with a terminal disease where they have uh, been given less than six months to live by their doctor. Um, and obviously, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, people people say that medical marijuana is good for pain management, for nausea management, and you know, there's all sorts of things in the bill already for. MS, for cancer, for sickle cell anemia, for Crohn's disease, things like that, PTSD um, that it would apply to. But then uh, now they're also talking about adding in just this kind of catch-all for if you have a terminal disease and you're just at the end of your life, then yes, you, you know, you can get it prescribed as well. Um, so a few other changes in there too to be made, um, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that debate goes. And then uh, finally, again, also happening Tuesday, is a debate about a big uh, foster parents bill of rights. Um, I wrote about that a couple months ago. It's kind of laid dormant, uh, but now it's coming back up again. And this was just something um, that actually kind of just blew me away when I <laughs> learned about it. And every county in North Carolina has different rules for foster kids and foster parents. And so I, you know, I talked to this one woman. Uh, from Buncombe County, uh, where Asheville is, who talked about how she takes in foster kids from a couple different counties in Western North Carolina. And at any given time, you know, even though they're all living with her at her house and going to the same school, they have different rules because of the county where they were born in on like, you know, whether they're allowed to go to field trips or whether they can go on vacations together or things like that. And it's just, you know, for, for parents, it can, you know, really be a hassle and there's just such a massive uh, backlog in the state right now that lawmakers are trying to to make the system a little bit uh, more attractive to potential foster parents. Uh, you know, not, they don't want to turn off people who are already in the system, and they want to be able to attract new people into the system. Um, and you know, I've I've heard from lawmakers that you know, in some counties, like in Wake County here in Raleigh, apparently it's gotten so bad that sometimes kids just have to sleep on the couch in the DSS offices because there's no houses to, and no families to put them with. Um, and obviously, you know, that's not a situation that people want. So it'll be interesting to see this bill move forward. Um, there have been some people who have argued against it, saying it gives too many rights to foster parents and takes away rights from the birth parents of the foster kids. Lawmakers have argued pretty strenuously against that, saying that that's just not true and people are just needlessly getting worried. Um, but we'll see if that comes up again on Tuesday. 
Um, obviously, the, you know, it's a, a, a very touchy subject anytime any, you know, kid gets taken away from their parents. Um, and, you know, people, people want to look out for the kids, but, you know, there can be a clash between, you know, the foster parents, the birth parents, of course. Um, so we'll, we'll see how this goes as it progresses. It, it's just a really interesting topic in general and something that, you know, probably most people don't really think about day to day. Um, but for people who are living it, who are in it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's just this, this massive, massive uh, bureaucracy, really, that they're working with. And so the, the intent here is to kind of simplify it. It has some bipartisan support. Um, but like I said, it also does have a little bit of opposition. So we will see where that goes. Um, but between that with the foster parents and the medical marijuana bill and the critical race theory bill and the budget and the scramble to update all of the, uh, you know, voting rules and, you know, everything before the municipal elections that are coming up in just a couple of months this fall. Um, I think that gives us a pretty busy week at the legislature and there'll doubtlessly be more going on, but those are your headlines, your headlight, your highlights, man, I can't talk right now. So I think I will just sign off. So again, for the News and Observer and Under the Dome, thank you again for listening. Please send us all of your tips. And uh, this is Will Dorn. Thanks. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for her weekly political newsletter at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.